4: and fast money does start right now hi everybody i am brian and i'm in all week for melissa great to have you with us your trader lineup on a big tuesday guy adami jeff mills bonwin eisen and chris verone tonight on fast running on empty not just a great song but also the message from morgan stanley's mike wilson his stocks hit new all-time highs what he sees next for your money and it may not be good news plus Maybe call it the ultimate catch-up trade. If you missed the market's record rebound, fear not, because we have three stocks that could be primed to pop. And later, TikTok, you don't stop. Giving us news, that is. There's a strange new suitor for the Red Hot Social Media app, but our traders have their own take on who should put a ring on it. A good old-fashioned game of Fast Money Matchmaker is coming your way a bit later on in the show. All right. So much to get through in the next hour, but let it begin, well, at the beginning. Why not? And a brand new record closed for the S&P 500. Now, this is uh, by far the fastest bear market exit in history. It has been just over 100 days since the benchmark index plunged to its lows of the year. Need I remind you of the pandemic panic of March? Well, we are up 55% since then, and it's closed today by the ever so slimmest of margins, putting an official end to the bear market. Guy. The market acting like the pandemic-induced lockdowns and mass job losses simply never happened. Is this all? Thank you, Mr. Federal Reserve.
5: Yeah, of course it is. You heard the way Sarah Eisen finished uh, their show. The balance sheet in, in, I guess, in February was $4 trillion. Now it's hovering either side of $7 trillion. I mean, you have to say with some degree of certainty that the Fed's had a lot to do with this. Whether or not they're in there or not, the market believes that they are. Uh, so that's good enough. But you mentioned Jackson Brown. I am a huge fan, by the way. Not only did he sing "Running on Empty," he also sang "The Pretender," which I think a lot of people think this market might be. And the other one is "Here Come Those Tears Again." And I got to tell you something. We're at levels that the tears might be coming really soon. What do I mean by that? Well, the city euphoria index is at levels we haven't seen in quite some time, literally off the chart, and in a market cap of the S&P 500 to GDP. Is at levels that even Warren Buffett would consider ridiculous. Typically, you know, 150% or so, people start pushing the panic button, and we're probably north of 170% now. A lot of people say it doesn't matter because of the amount of liquidity in the system. I get it, but at a certain point it matters. And quickly, Sarah also mentioned the failing dollar at the end of their show with Wilf. At a certain point, a lower dollar is going to be bearish for equities. And my fear is we're precariously close to those levels.
4: Yeah, we'll talk about the dollar in just a minute here. I mean, think about this fact here, Chris. You've got the Fed, five nice, I'm sure, and very smart people, unelected officials, five unelected officials running now a balance sheet, which is almost double the the annual federal budget of the United States, which is ostensibly run by 535 elected women and men. Truly stunning, but that's a different show. What do you make of this market rally here? World's fastest rebound. Is it all the fetters? There's some element of maybe the market believes we're going to get through this faster than some of the ultra negative headlines we read every day.
6: Yeah, I think that's right, Brian. And when you look at positioning, you have to remember the street's still positioned pretty defensively. You've only seen about $20 billion into equity ETF flows since the March 23rd low. You've seen about $150 billion into bond ETF flows. So that's where the excesses are. That's where the money has gone. And I also want to think about this idea about this divorce between the real economy and the market. Go back and look five, six, seven months off any major market low in history. The economy is typically not in a very good place. So to think that this divorce between markets and economy is unique, I think, is uh, historically incorrect. It's actually quite common uh, when you look back and you you put this in context, down 35 percent from February to March. Up 55 off the low, 103 trading days to a new high. It's actually this, uh, the third quickest recovery uh, of a bear market. 1982 was actually faster, about 50 trading days. And 1990, 91, uh, those declines were less, but the magnitude of the rally was similar. So there is some historical precedent for this. I don't think it's quite as unique as many think it is. Oh, wow. I
4: did did not know that. Maybe it was just the depth of the declines here. We got to change the headline to the third. Either way, it's pretty doggone fast, Chris. You know, and and Bonwin, for the, you know, you and I haven't talked a lot together, so maybe you haven't heard me say it, and I'll say it for the millionth time. The stock market is not the economy. That has always been the case, and it will probably always be the case. Will this gap between the real American economy and the equity market ever get closed? by the equity market coming down? Or will all that money we just talked about, the trillions, the stimulus, whatever it is, will that just continue to power us higher in the coming months and quarters?
3: Uh, Great question. And uh, you took the words right out of my mouth. Um, Yes, there definitely is a a chasm between the equity market and the real economy. Um, And to to Verone's point, I mean, listen, the the S&P is a leading indicator vis-a-vis the real economy. With that said, for us to continue to grind higher, aside from all of liquidity and, mar- and uh, money that is on the sidelines, the real economy is going to have to close that gap so that we have some follow through to the upside. If you look at bankruptcies, if you look at where the consumer is, granted we've had some deleveraging in the cycle over the past 10 years from the consumer, but you've seen that being made up through corporations. So yes, I think liquidity is a large part of that. And for us to take this leg higher, because now, We've, we have only met the expectations that are priced in. For us to continue to grind higher, there is going to have to be some closure of that gap.
4: You know, Jeff, and this is kind of the sad irony out there as well. I mean, it is what it is, so we're not going to get emotional about it because we don't talk about that. But this is the sad irony is that maybe the worse the news gets for the overall economy, the better that is for the equity market because it keeps the Fed in play i mean is there some kind of weird element to that the fed put is what we used to call it do you think it's even maybe bigger than it's ever been right now
7: you know what i honestly think that we're past that i know we were in that fed put situation for a long time over the past 10 years but i think the fed now is so entrenched in this zero interest rate environment and the guidance is so clear that people actually want to see economy getting better and we're talking about bridging this gap and we keep talking about the fed but the one thing that i think could give the market trouble here before it breaks out is i think the market might actually need to force policymakers hands in terms of that additional fiscal stimulus deal i think we need it you know the the thing that differentiates this recession Besides all the stimulus that we're talking about, and it pains me to say it, but maybe that's all that matters, but it's been income growth. You know, you think about unemployment skyrocketing, but income growth actually rising as well. So in order to continue to underpin this environment where investors are able to bridge the gap between today and this future state to which they're clearly looking, we're going to need this stimulus. And I think especially at these levels where, you know, you look at the B of A fund manager survey, investors are as bullish as they've been since February I think generally in that survey, people are expecting a vaccine in the first quarter of 21. So a fair amount of optimism there. On the positive side, to Chris's point, positioning is not overly aggressive. And if we're able to get that additional fiscal stimulus, which I think we ultimately do, then I think we can bridge that gap. And I think if economic data starts to get incrementally better, and it will be bumpy, but say over the next 12 to 18 months, you probably want to be underweight, the mega cap growth trade, and you probably will see cyclicals do well. But again, it might take time. I think between now and the election, we may revert back to the growth trade uh, where investors feel safe.
4: Yeah, very quickly, before we get to Kate Rooney, Guy Adami, I want to go back to you on that point, because I don't want to lay it all on the Fed. It's also Congress, right? The Fed is not just doing this on their own. Congress is passing stimulus. Somebody's got to fund that through debt issuance, etc. If we do not get this latest round of stimulus, Nancy Pelosi said today, about an hour ago, we're getting close. But if we don't get it for some reason, what happens?
5: Yeah, I mean, the, the logical answer would be the market sells off. And I know Brian Kelly's his one big concern has been exactly what you just said. But, you know, I've been doing this long enough to realize that the market doesn't seem to really care about anything right now. It's impervious. Maybe it lasts for a day or so. But worse news than that has hit the market, and the market hasn't really looked back. In a day or two at max, you've had a VIX that's gone from 80. I think it closed around 21.5 or so. So that's been coming down. So, again, the market is just... in in cruise control right now. But again, to all the points that were made, just understand something. For example, Apple, Apple, since the March low, has added to its market cap over a trillion dollars. Think about that for a second. We used to talk about a trillion dollars as a magical number, and Apple just in the last five months effectively has added it to their market cap. It's astounding. Today, for example, Amazon added a target to their market cap. So, so the numbers flying around here have just nice. become we've become somewhat desensitized to it. But it's something that's worth pointing out. I love it. that could have been an RBI
4: Amazon adding. I might steal that if I was on Wex tomorrow morning, but it's dumb. So I would have stolen that stat. I love it. By the way, Apple at one point nine seven six billion closing in on that two trillion. One point nine seven six trillion. by the way, closing in on two trillion. All right. So let's follow this up now with something that. Jeff just talked about actually income growth. If you have a job, you're not traveling, not spending money, you probably are actually saving a lot. And as stocks hit record highs. We're actually getting new numbers on retail trading activity and maybe a trillion more reasons why stocks keep going up. It's a big story. Let's hit it right now with Kate Rooney. Kate.
1: Hey, Brian. Fidelity reporting record customer assets last quarter thanks to this boom in retail trading. The Boston-based company had $3.3 trillion in discretionary assets at the end of June. That includes mutual funds, ETFs, and other managed accounts, which saw a 15 percent increase from a year earlier. Fidelity's total assets under management, which include assets from advisory firms that custody and clear with Fidelity, increased 8 percent to $8.3 trillion. Customers opened 1.2 million new retail accounts in the quarter. That was a new high as well. Trading more than doubled with an average 2.3 million daily transactions in the quarter. The firm citing market volatility and the pandemic as drivers for that quarterly growth. And guys, this sounds a lot like what we've heard from some of the other publicly traded brokers and Robinhood as well. Charles Schwab, TD Ameritrade and E-Trade all saw record account growth and customer trades in the second quarter. Brian, back to you.
4: Well, hold on, Kate. We're not done with it yet. Are you saying, you know, free gonna free? You know what I mean? If something's free, you're gonna take advantage of it. Is there any way to directly tie the stimulus checks to trading activity? If we made that connection, you get the twelve hundred bucks. You're like, you know what? I can't go anywhere. I can't do anything. Let's just throw it on Robinhood and see if I can make it two grand out of twelve hundred. <laughs>
1: There's been a couple of reports that show that. A company called Yodali showed that the majority, they said, of stimulus checks actually went into the stock market. It was something like 70%. Uh, so there is evidence in some reports that that has gone directly into trading. Other things like commissions and fractional trading. You see Fidelity and Charles Schwab now advertising things like stock slices and the idea that you can buy an expensive name brand stock like an Amazon, for example, for as low as $5. So those, those are definitely adding to it. But free trades has been, I think, the big factor that analysts point to.
4: Amazing. Free gonna free. And with a name like yodeling, you got to say it twice. Say it twice. Hey, <laughs> okay, thank you very much. Jeff, Jeff Mills, Your take. I mean, amazing data there. You're talking about incomes. Guess what? If you're saving money, a lot of those people appear to be putting it into the equity market.
7: Well, look, I think it's a good thing generally. You know, everybody was complaining for so many years that the younger generation, the millennial generation, wasn't investing in stocks and now all of a sudden they are, and I feel like you're getting complaining on the other side. So I think as long as people are doing it intelligently, I think in some cases they probably are, in some cases they probably aren't, I think ultimately it's a good thing. You just wonder, though, for the profitability of some of these brokerages, You know, since people have started investing, it's been a really easy ride. Stocks only go up, but... You hit some sort of a rough patch and then you wonder how sticky some of those additional accounts are. But again, overall, I think it's a good trend. I'd rather see the money going into investing in the stock market than a lot of other places. So, so far, I think it's uh, I think it's a good thing. Yeah.
4: yeah, we shouldn't be complaining. Where are the retail investors? Now we're complaining because there's retail investors back. You can't have it both ways. But of course, we're in the media. We can do that. All right. So we know now, of course, folks, that the market has bounced back in a bigly way. But many of you, and you know who you are, may have sold during the March panic and are now probably kicking yourselves for missing out on the rebound. But have no fear, because Chris is back with three names to play for a possible catch-up trade. Chris, take it away.
6: Yeah, Brian, well, what I think is important here, as we saw with the S&P, you know, down 35 from February to March, got to remember, a lot of names out there peaked well before The market peaked. And the three names we're going to talk about actually peaked in early 2018. So they were in these multi year bear markets. Caterpillar, I think, is a great example to start. Um, ticker CAT, uh, it's it basically a cut in half over the last several years. I think it's improving here. We've been trying to break up through this 145 level uh, for the past couple of years. It's on the verge of doing so. There's very, very good support near 135. I think any pullbacks into the area are viable. The technical condition here is improving. The group industrials are improving uh, as well. 50 days now up through the 200 days. So you have a lot of trend support behind you here. I think this makes it a catch-up candidate as we look out over the next number number of months. Morgan Stanley would be another example in financials, and it's a stock that has really dominated relative to its peers, outperforming the broader financial sector, outperforming Goldman Sachs, Um, Big three, four-year base, another name that peaked in 2018. So it's kind of endured a two-year bear market. There's good support near 49.50. I think if you get any weakness into that uh, over coming days or coming weeks, you want to be opportunistic with that and be a buyer. And then thirdly, let's go over to pharma and talk about Pfizer. Uh, Multi-year downtrend, we think this is coming uh, to an end here. It's really coiled to rally. We have this nice bottom that's taken shape uh, really over the last year or year and a half. Ton of support near 36, 37. I think ultimately, we're talking about a 50 or $55 stock here. So I recognize mm. new highs for the index uh, can be intimidating. But when you look at some of these names, they've endured multi-year bear markets. We think they're all starting to improve. And quietly, they're exhibiting some leadership as well. So CAT, Morgan Stanley, Pfizer, three good catch-up trades here. <laughs> okay,
4: Jeff. Good stuff. Or Chris. Good stuff. Guy. What do you make of these names, particularly Pfizer, which is which is one of the hot names on the vaccine side, coming back, but still well below where it was a couple of years ago.
5: Yeah, I think I think Chris would probably agree with this. I don't think Pfizer the plays necessarily on a vaccine, although yeah. that obviously you have some you have a potential tailwind with that. I get it, but I agree with them on valuation. It's too cheap, and it's clearly lagged some of its bigger competitors. For example. Eli Lilly. I like the Caterpillar one. I'm a little concerned because, you know, Cat was above 140, gave it back, but Chris is right. That 135 level seems to be a line in the sand. And in terms of Caterpillar, I think you can get back up to that 150 level that we saw back in late January, early February. Wow, bullish call there on
4: Caterpillar for Mr. Guy Adami. Great stuff. Appreciate that, Chris. Some good catch up trades. All right. Coming up, call it a big box blowout. A pair of retailers reporting rock solid results. So why didn't their stocks respond a little more? We're going to find out. And later on, as TikTok takeover talks heat up, we're going to play a game of matchmaking. Our traders each have the one company they think should make a bid to the social media app. Those names and much more when Fast Money returns.
0: Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy.
4: All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Well, guess what? We have got a market flash right now, some real-time breaking news on Sorrento Therapeutics. Let's get to Contessa Brewer with those. Contessa.
2: Hi there, Brian. You know, Sorrento had received uh, a FDA clearance earlier this year, emergency authorization on a a saliva test, a rapid test for coronavirus. And then yesterday, its stock plummeted when a competing company got the go-ahead to pursue the same thing. Now, more bad news for Sorrento. And you can see in extended trading down 10 percent, its CFO is out and they've hired a 38-year-old to come in. Uh, Najim Asgar, age 39 rather, will come in as the company's chief financial officer. And uh, Zhang Xiao is on his way out. So, Brian, there, you're seeing the stock moving on that news.
4: Yeah, that's an interesting headline. Contessa Brewer, thank you very much. I mean, all right, hold on here. Guy Dami, mean, we've got a company here whose stock is up over 400% in a year. They're talking about best-in-class saliva COVID tests coming from this company. Everything's firing all cylinders, and the CFO suddenly leaves, and it doesn't sound like on his own accord. Waiting for more details, but that's a, yeah. that's a bizarre headline.
5: Yeah, waiting for more details is the operative. So I don't want to get ahead of myself here. But to your point, I mean, it seems like I think three or four days ago, this was a $19 stock up from $2, I think, in early spring. Maybe rightly so. Who's to say in this environment? Uh, off all those great headlines about the tests you just cited, but anytime you see a headline like this, you know, CFO leaving, um, was asked yeah. to leave, again, I don't have all the details. It's not particularly encouraging. I don't think you buy it on the weakness, and it's hard to say what you do in terms of if you own the stock. But just looking at it, you know, when a stock goes from 2 to 19 in three and a half months, and now it's basically cut in half from there, that's somewhat concerning.
4: I'll I'll give you the the headline here, uh, Jeff Mills. And I'm not asking you to comment on the news. I wouldn't do that to you because we're just rolling it out. But comment more on the headline as it pertains to any company, here's, I'm gonna read you the exact line for the press release because I wanna make sure that we're very careful with this. Zhang Xiao's employment, the CFO, was Sorrento Therapeutics terminated in its entirety, effective immediately. So he was fired, effective immediately on a red hot stock. This is gonna be a name that I have a feeling we're gonna hear a lot more about in the next couple of hours and tomorrow, particularly when a CFO is terminated, effective immediately. I'm telling you, in my 26 years of history there, there's something usually behind it.
7: Yeah, there's something usually behind it, but you don't know exactly what it is, and you don't know whether it's going to affect the actual fundamental activity of the company. I think it just points to the idea that, look, when you have a stock that has moved like this stock has, it's vulnerable to these types of headlines, maybe more so than another company would have that's trading at a more reasonable valuation. So you can kind of look across the market and see some of these companies that Are trading at valuations that might be tied to some sort of coronavirus treatment or something else and it just means that higher valuations are more vulnerable to these kind of pullbacks especially when investors are speculating that the future is you know absolutely perfect
4: and we're watching that stock tick down in fact going down as we're talking about it so just again folks waiting on more details the cfo red hot stock trader favorite by the way cfo terminated effective immediately you don't see that very much all right Moving on, a pair of big box retailers reporting blowout results today, but you'd never know it just by looking at their stocks. Let's kick things off with Walmart. You might have heard about it, a little startup out of Arkansas, beating on both the top and bottom lines. Walmart says that e-commerce sales nearly doubled last quarter, getting a boost, no doubt, from the stimulus checks that went out. But Bentonville clamming up about the rest of the year, not giving any guidance to the market, the stock ending lower, not by a lot, by about six-tenths of one percent. Bonwin. Your thoughts on Walmart's trading today.
3: Yeah, talk about what have you done for me lately. I mean, listen, same of sales. up. Uh, you already touched on um, their the online portion of their business, almost doubling, be it on revenues, be it on EPS. But, yes, they came out and were very transparent about the fact that they saw uh, sales start to normalize a bit in July and that a lot of, uh, you know, some of the spinning was led by the stimulus. Listen, it, it, this is not something that's off the table. The stock is off. Moderately, I mean, it's hard for me to call it much more than noise. It's shown that it's been able to navigate this COVID situation quite well. Um, It's got, as I mentioned on Friday, about 50 percent of its revenues come from grocery items. And although low margin, those are still essential items that you need. I still like the stock here.
4: Still likes the stock. There you go. All right. Let's move on now to another big name. And that is Home Depot. It lost investors a little over three bucks a share today, even as sales rose 23 percent last quarter. Of course, everybody, you know, has probably taken on a home improvement project during the pandemic. By the way, just try to find a contractor right now, if you know what I mean. Well, Home Depot sales surging 25 percent last quarter. So, Jeff Mills, what's wrong here? All the gains already bought in?
7: Well, I think maybe for now, and to follow on on Bonneman's point, you know, I think that you've had this spending redirect. It's, it's been very clear. But how long does that go on for maybe another year? I think this narrative that the world has changed forever in every single way is probably overdone. And ultimately, consumer dollars are going to start to get spread out again. People will go out to dinner, they'll travel, they'll take vacations. So you have to think at these levels what is left. And I think you saw that in the trading today and bottom made the point about walmart and they started to see some sales normalize as the stimulus check started to wear off so again you wonder what is left in these names whether it's walmart whether it's home depot Um, i do think when thinking about home depot specifically i actually like lowe's better just from a valuation perspective typically home depot trades at about two multiple turns higher than lowe's Right now, four and a half turns. So I think there's a gap that can be closed there. And I do think that Lowe's management is doing a good job in terms of turning some of those business metrics around, whether it's sales per square foot or what have you. So um, I I do like that uh, over Home Depot, but I do think ultimately those stocks could be in a position where if you get a stimulus deal, you do get a little bit of a short term pop, even though they didn't perform great today.
4: Okay, good stuff there. And Bonwin still likes Walmart. All right, on deck. The market sputtered for days before posting a new record close. Coming up, we're going to be joined by Morgan Stanley strategist Mike Wilson to find out why that might be a cause for concern. And later, a natural gas breakout? Well, it's certainly something that we haven't seen or talked about in a long time. But we will go off the charts to look at a few names that could be ready to rally a lot more fast money right after this break. All right. Welcome back to Fast Money. If you are just joining us, it was a record day on Wall Street. The Nasdaq hitting, yep, you guessed it, another all-time high. And this time, it happened to bring along its bigger cousin, the S&P 500. That index closing at its highest level ever. But your next guest says the record rally may be starting to run on empty. Morgan Stanley's Mike Wilson joining us now on the CNBC Newsline. Uh, Mike, thank you very much for joining us. Why do you think that? Does it have to do with the move in bonds which as you yourself noted the move we saw in 10-year yields was the third fastest in five days ever in modern history
2: yeah i mean that's part of it brian i mean good to be with you tonight i mean i think we're at an interesting you know point here i mean markets uh technically have had you know this powerful move we're right into resistance on the s p 500 nasdaq as well through resistance and as you mentioned has just been uh powering higher for the last several months. Uh, But, you know, markets tend to react to these levels. Uh, And, you know, I'm in the camp that we're in a bull market. It's a new economic cycle, so we're constructive. But, you know, bull markets have corrections. And if there is a time this year uh, since March, I think this is probably a good time, both seasonally, right, August, September. uh, We have this fiscal cliff negotiation, which is, you know, coming down to the 11th hour is gonna be an overhang. Uh, You talked about Walmart and Home Depot earlier. You know, part of the reason why they probably gave back a little bit today, which, by the way, is noise. I I agree with some of the earlier comments. Is that I mean, look, these things have been big beneficiaries of this fiscal stimulus, and if that's going to be delayed or maybe not come through, I mean, they're going to be victims of that. So I think the market is starting to think about these ideas that, you know, hey, we've come a long way. Let's digest this, and and this is a seasonal time of the year, and yeah, this is probably a time where we have a little bit of a little bit of a pullback.
4: So the the idea basically for clients of Morgan Stanley is. Wait, you got a lot of cash. Kate Rooney just talked about how much cash is out there on the sidelines, so to speak. Wait, you expect to pullback? There'll be a better buying opportunity soon.
2: Yeah, for folks who you know haven't been playing along, I mean, I think uh, if, if you're just now deciding that this is something you just can't take anymore, you have to jump in as you're making a new all-time high, probably not a great decision. If you're somebody who's been dollar-cost averaging the whole time, you know, stay with your program. I mean, it's a bull market, so let's not, let's not kid ourselves about that. You know, some of the things you are talking about earlier on the program, I completely agree with. I mean, if you believe it's a bull market, it should now start to broaden out a little bit more. Uh, And some of that's around the recovery stocks, if you want to call them that. But really, it's a broadening out of stocks that actually have been underperforming for two years. And whether that's in the financials area, some of the industrial space, consumer cyclicals, that will be beneficiaries of the reopening. I mean, those are the areas where we think the operating leverage story is going to be much more interesting over the course of the next year. And that's probably not um, that's probably not appreciated. So that's the other part of the advice that we're giving folks: is if you are going to put money back into the market now, you know, look some, for some of the areas that have been laggards, not the ones that have been making new highs every other day.
5: Hey, Mike. Obviously, thanks for being here. So, what at what point is the market going to want the denominator portion of this equation to start to move? That would be GDP. I mean. You know, obviously the numerator in terms of market cap just goes up every day given the market move. But GDP does not move. As a matter of fact, it's probably going the wrong way. At what point does GDP start to have to play catch-up? Because in terms of that ratio, we're at ridiculous levels.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you've been doing this a long time like me. You understand. I mean, when you go into recession, you come out of that, you always get the revaluation first, right? And that's, you know, rates have been falling precipitously, particularly on a real basis, uh, since, you know, basically the first part of this year. And, of course, when we went to recession, they collapsed. Then we got the revaluation on the back of those lower rates and the idea that, you know, things are troughing and the market's looking forward. Well, now it's show-me time. So I think that period begins now, meaning in the third quarter and the fourth quarter, you know, the things that are going to start to outperform now are the stocks that have big, the biggest upside surprises to expectations, Okay. Some of that could be still some of these leadership names in the, in the tech space. They're going to continue to do really, really well. But it's also going to be in areas where you know, the expectations have been hammered and where people don't think anything good is going on. right? So, um, but it is show-me-time now, Guy. You're exactly right. We had the revaluation, and the upside from here over the course of the next year is going to come through upside in earnings.
4: All right. Mike Wilson, Morgan Stanley, really appreciate you joining us once again on Fast Money and watching these markets. Thank you. Uh, Chris Verone, respond to Mike's yeah. comments. What do you you see? Technicals. You see these markets. Do you agree
6: with Mike? Yeah, I think it's a very reasonable view. Listen, we just had a 55 percent rally into new highs here. The, frankly, the breadth over the last several days has not been as potent or as powerful as we'd like to see when you're kind of first interacting with levels that matter. Uh, and certainly this uh, this this new high level uh, is an important one what i think is important is a market that consolidates a market that gathers itself we want to see a broadening out as mike talks about if you believe like we believe that this is still a new bull market that this is an economic expansion this is about the time where you want to see participation really broaden out and that's with industrials that's with materials that's with banks so there's some subtle signs that's beginning to happen my best guess is that's with higher rates and that's a little bit later uh in the year
4: all right good stuff there chris thank you very much all right coming up the traders are playing TikTok matchmaker who let the dogs in there may be a couple of suitors, by the way, in the mix, but who do they think should ultimately make it official? Plus, we're counting down to earnings from NVIDIA. Will the chipmaker keep its rally going even higher? We're going to let you know what one options trader is betting on. We're back Into All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Well, TikTok apparently has a new suitor. Oracle reportedly joining Microsoft and possibly Twitter in expressing interest in buying TikTok's U.S. and maybe Australian and New Zealand a- assets. Well, today we're getting fresh comments from one President Trump on all of this. Let's get right out of Josh Lipton with more in the TikTok saga. Josh.
8: So Brian, President Trump is now weighing in. Let me bring you those comments. He's saying Oracle is a good company that could take over TikTok's U.S. business. He also repeated that demand, by the way, that the U.S. Treasury must get some share of the sale and that there must be a resolution here, he says, by September 15th. Now, I also checked in with Evercore's Kirk Matern. He covers the name. I wanted Kirk's take on this. He says, if Larry Ellison can find the right partners and get the right price, then maybe this idea isn't so far-fetched. He says, Oracle certainly has the cash to bid along with another firm with a cash pile of 43 billion and counting. And Kirk says, perhaps Oracle could see this as more of an investment, meaning Larry Ellison would find the right partner or partners and then spin out the business once it's officially based here in the US. In that scenario, Oracle would not be running TikTok. It would just gain a big new internet client for its cloud business, storing and protecting all that user data. Now, I also checked in with Brent Till at Jefferies. Bottom line, he sees this as a low probability event, arguing that Oracle is an enterprise company. It doesn't know the consumer and has a spotty track record of M&A. He says it's Microsoft. Brent believes that is ultimately the better fit here for TikTok. One interesting wrinkle here though is Mr. Larry Ellison. He has that unique relationship with President Trump, the very rare tech exec that openly supports the president, even reportedly remember hosting fundraisers for him earlier this year. Brian, back to you.
4: All right. Good stuff there, Josh. Thank you very much. All right. So With a possible bidding war, maybe brewing for TikToks, we thought it would be the perfect time to play a game of matchmaker. That's right. Each trader has their own take on who might be the right fit. Guy Dami, let's start with you. Who do you think?
5: Well, I know you're a huge TikTok guy, Brian. I've seen your your link or your page or whatever, your channel. But you know who the greatest TikTok (laughs) person is, regardless of your politics? Sarah Cooper is just... A genius. Obviously, she just signed a deal with Netflix. And I got to thinking, it's not preposterous to think that Netflix couldn't tuck in a TikTok under their site, right? It makes a little bit of sense. $30 billion, maybe pay for it in stock. So if you're listening, Reed Hastings, you signed Sarah Cooper, why don't you just buy TikTok for yourself at this point?
4: Not bad. You sit there and watch, you know, two minute or 20 second content. Chris Perone, what do you think?
6: Maybe Disney here. I am not a TikToker, uh, but when you look at the no way. Disney business line here, um, it's an opportunity <laughs> to diversify. And, you know, I look at Disney from a chart perspective, and it's you know at this inflection point where it's time for uh, the company to really to put up here. And it's an opportunity.
4: You know, Chris, I love you, buddy. I love you. I can't see it happening. You know how many offensive videos TikTok removed last year? Forty nine million. Oof. Guy, I don't know if TikTok necessarily falls into Disney's thing. You know what I mean?
5: Guy? You're talking to me? Yeah, that's oh, about what Oh, I didn't it know is. I didn't hear you. I didn't is hear there the another guy, guy I mean, on the show
4: or am I just using guy I, as a pejorative I, you know what? Hey, guy? I, what's listen, up?
5: I have I have the dogs barking. I'm watching I'm actually watching Sarah Cooper TikTok and you mentioned they have removed forty-nine million offensive uh, videos. I mean, you wonder how many offensive people they removed from Hall of Presidents or Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. So maybe it makes more sense than you're giving them credit for, it, Brian.
4: Fair enough. Fair enough. Coming to Chris's defense. Bondwin, what do you think? Who could be a good purchaser of TikTok assets?
3: I think it's Facebook. But um, they this reminds me ooh, having flashbacks of my prom night they are most certainly going to have to get her back by midnight and deal with dad and big brother on Washington. So, listen, they've got to navigate a few headwinds there, but I think just from a business mix, natural synergies, engaging with consumer, this is not an enterprise company looking to latch on to a consumer brand. Like They know it. They do this well. They're industry leaders. I think Facebook makes a lot of sense.
4: Yeah put it into Instagram Reels, the TikTok clone. Jeff, quickly.
7: I think in terms of being incrementally additive to the bottom line, I think Twitter makes sense. You might say, well, Vine didn't work, but there are plenty of examples of companies who have tried to cultivate something internally and then purchase something. I think about Google Video and then the purchasing of YouTube. So for me, Twitter makes a lot of sense. I think it gives them visibility into the younger demographic. It makes them a more formidable ad, pro, uh, ad um Platform when compared to Facebook and Google. And I think it could help solve the monetization problem. So, in, in terms of being incrementally additive to the core business, I think it makes the most sense for Twitter.
4: Uh, all right, the General Mills has spoken. Maybe that'll be their lucky charm for Twitter. All right, coming up. <laughs> sorry. Natural gas. Thank you, guy. Natural gas is on fire. Is there any more fuel left in the tank on this little mini rally? One of our traders sees a rally brewing in two big names. Those trades ahead and later, chip stocks ripping higher. Should you dip into these names or has all the money already been made? Stick around to find out. Look at those gains. We're back right after this. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Check out natural gas. If you haven't been paying attention, you should. It's been on fire the last month climbing over 40%. And there are a couple of names in the space that may be fueled up and ready to break out. Let's go now off the charts with Chris Barone. Chris, what stocks are you looking at with natural gas exposure?
6: Yeah, Brian, you know, I think when you put this in context of the commodity here, I mean, this has been a big move, right? We've broken a multi-year downtrend. Sentiments quietly starting to improve uh, in the space. The technical picture's improving. 50-day about to break up through the 200. I think you have room on... Gas to about three bucks. So the question is, what names do we want to play? And, you know, I think another benefit here for the whole space is that seasonality is really good. Uh, September and October is typically when you want to be buying gas. So we brought along uh, a couple names here that I think are particularly actionable. Range Resources RRC is one example. I mean, this thing peaked eight years ago. Um, I think there's room to go here. 8 to 12 is the target uh, or the move that we're looking for. What's remarkable about the stock is 26 analysts cover it. There's only two buys. So we don't have to worry about sentiment being too excessive here. I think it's an improving chart. And then secondly, when you look at EQT, another name in this space, uh, in the E&P space, gas exposed, quietly start to get uh, a little bit better here. I would look through 16, get you to that 24, 25 range. So I think these rallies are in their nascent stages. I think the move in gas is just beginning. It's time to embrace it.
4: Yeah, we've listened. We've seen, I'll, I'll chime in before we go to Jeff, just because I cover energy. We, we have seen the biggest drop in new drilling activity in mm. America in history. Lost 900 drilling rigs in a year. Why do you care? Because natural gas is an offshoot of drilling for oil. So the less oil we drill, the less natural gas is there. Demand remains fairly strong. If it's cold, you got to turn on the heater. If it's hot, you want the AC to work. So, Jeff Mills, what do you make of the natural gas space?
7: Yeah, totally agree on the price. You know, I think you have upside there. The chart looks good. So if talk about the ultimate catch-up trade. I mean, you're looking at names that have been absolutely pummeled, and the technical picture is starting to look better. I, I've, I've liked a company like EOG for a long time, just given their low-cost structure and the environment that we're in they source their own fracking material they do their own prospecting so from that standpoint I really like a name like that their debt picture is better than peers their free cash flow yield is better than peers. so I think if you get a turning price some of those names that are levered to that can do well EOG is one that I like specifically
4: yeah and by the way Jeff if I asked a hundred people in the oil and gas space who is one of the best run companies in oil and gas they'll say it's Bill Thomas and the EOG Management Squad. They're always mentioned. All right, guys, thank you very much. Yep. Watch natural gas. By the way, got an OPEC meeting tomorrow as well, which we'll be talking about on Squawk Box tomorrow morning. All right, on deck. Why options traders are betting on a big-time move for NVIDIA. And take a look at the Kramer cam. That is Columbia Sportswear CEO Tim Boyle. Don't miss that. Full interview coming up at the top of the hour on Mad Money with Jim. We're back right after this. All right. Welcome back. Well, the chip rip taking a little bit of a breather today, but it has been indeed a stunning run. Just check out some of the returns and names like AMD, Qualcomm, Lamb Research and Skyworks. Look at those gains. Wow. Especially NVIDIA, which, by the way, we don't just randomly mention. They're on deck to report results tomorrow. And the options market is betting on even bigger gains ahead. Let's find out why. Bonwin Eisen
3: with the action. What do you see in NVIDIA, Bonwin? Uh, Thanks. So heading into earnings, we're looking at um, calls and put ratios. You can see the calls have outstripped puts two times to one. That's nothing new. We've seen that trend over the last 20 or so trading days. Taking a look at the the out-the-money options out till Friday expiry, we can see that the options are implying just south of a 7% move between now and then. That's a slightly elevated um, expectation to what we've seen from earnings, which is about 5% over the last four fiscal quarters. And the trade that sticks out to me, about 10,000 of the August expiry 500 calls traded around $12, putting your break even about $512. So here, I think there's a little bit more nuance to this, actually. So we've talked ad nauseum about valuations here, and NVIDIA has a pretty stretched valuation around this stock price. So this person looks like they might be playing for an upside move as opposed to owning the stock playing for a slight upside, about 45 5% here, while only outlaying about 2.5%.
4: I was gonna say what's the risk, Bonwin, that they're putting on here? Just about a two and a half percent?
3: Correct. As opposed to paying about four ninety for the stock. Okay, good stuff there. So guy,
4: listen, we had a slight pullback on NVIDIA. Does it concern you? Does it bother you heading into earnings that traders didn't no. buy into it?
5: No, no, it doesn't. But just keep in mind, I mean, this stock, when it troughed in March, was trading basically $200. Effectively, now it's $500. You can do the math. The move has been staggering, and you really haven't seen much of a pullback in the name. I understand valuation. That's been the concern. Market doesn't seem to care. I compliment Susquehanna, who I think yesterday or two days ago or last week put a $540 price target on it. But the prudent thing to do, despite the fact that 18 of the last 20 quarters, they've beaten on revenue 19 in the last 20 quarters, they beat on EPS. It's a great company. Gaming numbers are going to be great. Data center is going to be great. It's not a bad idea that if you've enjoyed this move the stock to take some money off the table into earnings small. I'm not saying short it, and this is not an indictment of the company. I just think the smart thing to do, given a run, is to try to take some money off the table into the print tomorrow afternoon.
4: There you go. Yeah, it was yesterday. I know the days are dragging on, guy. It was yesterday, so I was going with a 540. Chris, your take on NVIDIA.
6: I think guys got this right. I mean, this is a stock that's gone 200 to 500 since the low. So these earnings better be pretty darn good to justify that move. And I think even the hint or the whiff of a miss, uh, there is correction risk here. Now, let's put this in context with the bigger picture. This is a great long-term trend. I think any weakness is viable, but I don't think it's ripe for fresh money here.
4: All right, there you go. Not a very positive take from, uh, from Chris or Guy. All right, reminder for more options action, you can be sure to tune into the full show. When is it? It's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. All right, up next, a staggering stock stat from the C-suite, he said, by the seashore selling seashells as stocks hit record highs. Those details, next. Welcome back to Fast Money. Well, the overall market may be at record highs, but corporate insiders might be sending us a big warning sign, or not. But executives have sold a whopping $50 billion worth of their own company stock since May. That's according to data from TrimTabs. And that is on pace for the most insider selling since all the way back in 2006. Now, it could be a sign executives think their stocks may have gotten too far ahead of themselves, or maybe they have pre-selected sell programs or want to fix up their homes like everybody else, corporate selling, a little bit harder to discern than corporate buying. But do take note, among the stocks, seeing the most insider selling are, a name we just talked about, NVIDIA, and also Regeneron. All right, time now for your channel trades. Final trades go around the horn. Jeff, let's kick it off with you.
7: S&P Global, it's consolidated for about a month, but held really nicely at the 50-day moving average. I think it goes higher from here, SPGI.
3: All right, Bondwin. Veron makes some pretty compelling ar- arguments about the space. It's a gap from $10 and looks like it has some upside here. UNG. All right, Chris. I think farmers
6: ready to go again. Pfizer, PFE, get it up through 40. It's a big breakout.
5: All right, and Guy. Will you excuse me for a second, Brian? Stop barking! My God. Apologize. Dog ownership, man. Restoration hardware, RH.
4: Need a new couch for the dog. I like it though. My final trait is Alpo. Everybody, thank you very much. Thanks for watching Fast Money. Mad with Jim starts right now.
2: You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX
5: is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.